Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the podcast recorded for the ATS Pulmonary Rehabilitation Assembly. My name is Lindsay houchin Wolof and I'm a research physiotherapist from Leicester, UK and also part of the web committee for this assembly. It gives me great pleasure to interview today Professor Sally Singh, who's the Head of Pulmonary and Cardiac Rehabilitation at the University Hospitals of Leicester and also Professor of Rehabilitation at the University of Leicester in the UK. Today we will be talking about UK Pulmonary Rehabilitation Accreditation Scheme. Hi Sally. Can you start by outlining <coughs> your role for uh, accreditation in the UK? Uh, hi Lindsay and, and thank you for inviting me to take part in this podcast. Um, my role in the UK um, with respect to the uh, accreditation scheme is the clinical lead for the Pulmonary Rehabilitation Services Accreditation Scheme. That's hosted by the Royal College of Physicians. So I have um, a commitment to work uh, with the team there. Okay. And can you explain what Pulmonary Rehabilitation Accreditation is and how the scheme first came about? So the scheme was first talked about probably four or five years ago and it was recognised that um, pulmonary rehabilitation was a high-value intervention. And interestingly, um, compared to many other clinical services in the UK and I suspect around the world, we're in a very privileged position in that we have the evidence-based guidelines that were supported by the British Thoracic Society. That led to uh, the quality standards, uh, again supported by the BTS, and those standards informed the national audits and also uh, the standards that were embedded within the uh, accreditation scheme. So we felt that, to use a, a British expression, that all the ducks were lined up really and it would be um, not a straightforward process, but we were very well positioned to go forward for accreditation. So um, during the time that um, respiratory um, was developing a profile within the NHS, uh, the Chief Scientific Officer um, supported a pilot accreditation scheme. Um, and so we ran that uh, several years ago. So I'm happy to talk about that if that's something you'd be interested to hear about. Yes. So um, do you want to talk about the pilot scheme now? Yeah, I'm happy. To. So the pilot scheme was, just as it says on the tin, uh, a scheme to assess appetite and uptake and feasibility of running an accreditation program that focused primarily uh, on pulmonary rehabilitation. And so we used the standards that had been developed by um, the BTS, but also a number of other um, criteria that are guided uh, by national accreditation schemes. And so we selected five or six services that represented a variety of rehabilitation programs um, that, for example, rural or um, community-based uh, type services. So we had a real range of services. Um, and actually, there was a huge uh, number of services that actually applied to be accredited. So we were fairly confident there was enthusiasm within the community. And we then um, did a pilot um, visit to these centers after they'd uploaded some information or submitted information. Um, and, of course, we used the data from the national audit to look at 
clinical effectiveness of these services, but the, the accreditation scheme is obviously much wider than that. So the accreditation scheme was successful, or well, the pilot scheme was successful, and we managed to secure uh, further funding to essentially kickstart uh, the process that was uh, awarded to the Royal College of Physicians that have an accreditation unit that usually um, accredits medically driven services. Great, thank you. So can you outline what you think the real purpose of the accreditation scheme is and perhaps um, some of the benefits for patients and service providers? So the, the overarching aim of the accreditation service is to deliver a safe, high-quality, timely, uh, patient-centered and clinically effective pulmonary rehabilitation program. So you, you can see that that is, is broader than a national audit, which simply, but importantly, looks at clinical effectiveness. So both the audit and the um, accreditation program have embedded within them a process of quality improvement. So that it, it's all about driving up the quality of care so that we deliver this high-quality service. But importantly uh, for rehabilitation, which I'm sure is seen internationally, there is huge national variation in terms of one, how we deliver rehab and the clinical effectiveness of that. So we're really trying to reduce variation in care so that everybody at least reaches the benchmark of the um, outlined criteria for accreditation. It also is there to help commissioners or payers for rehabilitation to understand that they are commissioning a high-quality service. So the, the part of the drive with the um, NHS is to support all services to go for accreditation and to support all commissioners or payers to be very clear that they will only commission services that are accredited or on the pathway to accreditation. It also allows patients to understand that the service that they've been referred to has met these, these high standards and so they have a quality assured service as well. So ideally, it, it's there to support you know, patients, commissioners, and importantly, the staff that are working in rehabilitation so that they that they're being well supported, uh, they have clear leadership and accountability and governance structures to operate within. So it really provides a framework for services to be Im embedded in the pathway of care for patients with COPD. Okay. You talked about the pathway um, in that last section. Um, can you just talk us through the full accreditation scheme and what the pathway looks like now? Okay, so it, the, the accreditation cycle is uh, over five years. So from the time of being, of being awarded accreditation for your pulmonary rehabilitation service, there would then be a series of annual reviews. So the whole process spans over five years, but clearly prior to being awarded accreditation, there is a lot of work to be done. So... Prior to being um, accredited, there are uh, several phases that you would go through. So the first phase is to upload 
all of your evidence against the criteria by which you're being judged. And that's quite comprehensive, and we can talk around those different aspects of, of the service in a moment. Once all of that um, information has been uploaded, and as a team you're satisfied that you've uh, reached the uh, anticipated level, the team at the Royal College of Physicians would um, apply some, some mandatory criteria against your evidence to see whether you actually would um, proceed to the next stage. So uh, an example of that might be that you're actually taking part in the national audit, and it would be very difficult to imagine or almost impossible to imagine how you would um, think that you were ready for accreditation but actually haven't taken part in the national audit. And there are a few other criteria as well. So once you've got past this criteria, we would then, um, as a team, the clinical lead and the team at the RCP, would have a phone call with the site lead who was leading the accreditation uh, at, that in, at that site to make sure that everything was in order and what additional evidence we might expect to see on the day. So this may be things that are uh, a little ambiguous in the uploads um, onto the website or something that needs additional clarification or indeed something that actually can't be uploaded and we would expect to be able to see that on the day. We then arrange a site visit, and that would comprise uh, a clinical assessor. Uh, it may be the clinical lead, but not always, um, and, and, and another expert in, in uh, the accreditation schemes. We would also have a patient um, that would come, because clearly patients have a very different set of eyes compared to uh, uh, clinicians. And so we then uh, would have uh, a day or a two-day visit. The length of the visit would vary depending on the number of different sites or types of rehabilitation programs that you offered. So if you were simply a hospital-based program with one type of delivery, that is most likely to be covered in a day. If you have community services and there are different types of community, for example, you may have something in a church hall or you may have something in a leisure centre, then the, the site visits uh, would be multiple and the length of the, the visit would be extended. We would also expect to talk to staff, um, have clear demonstration of leadership, and we would expect that the hospital or the organisational uh, management would be represented on the day. And at the end of the day, we would feed back and broadly, um, I always say to people it's a bit like doing a PhD, you would, you would, you would uh, be awarded uh, accreditation, or you may be deferred pending minor amendments, essentially, that we would anticipate would normally uh, be rectified within a, a three-month period. And then after that, you would, of course, be awarded uh, accreditation. In the RCP's previous schemes, it, it seems that about 50% pass first time, um, and 50% are deferred, and then they would be awarded accreditation at a slightly later date. So if um, services haven't signed up, um, how can they get involved if they're interested? So there is uh, a website, it's the Pulmonary Rehabilitation Services Accreditation Scheme, uh, shortened to prsas.org, and obviously that's um, 
something that's only currently available in the UK, but we would certainly encourage people to um, access that website and then follow the instructions on how to, to yeah. sign up. And are you looking for yeah. clinical assessors? To yeah, we're most definitely site. looking for clinical assessors. Um, we uh, would would hope that as the scheme develops, then people would be interested in in supporting it. And, you know, and just from experience, the clinical visits that I've done as the uh, lead clinician, I've learned an enormous amount. So I think it's always really beneficial to do these peer visits yeah. and see how other people run their services. Yeah, that's interesting. Can you think of any examples of um, locally things that have changed within your service potentially following um, the accreditation? Yes, yeah, so we, we um, took part in the pilot accreditation scheme, so I guess I can give you an example from that of something we'd failed to do um, was in terms of uh, having a contract, if you like, with the hospital around uh, equipment replacement and we all know certainly in the UK how difficult um, it is to secure funding for equipment but as part of this accreditation process there was an expectation we would have a transparent system and support from the wider organisation to uh, replace equipment as and when it broke or was you know was was no longer um, so we've now put in um, an equipment replacement policy um, that the trust have agreed theoretically to honour as mm -hmm. when our equipment dies on us. Great. And what support is available um, for the individual um, services that are involved? In so the I, I think that's interesting. So you, you've used the word individual services. Um, and there is a lot of support, and one of the things that we've just done is run um, a group um, of services. So a, a whole uh, bunch of services in one region came together to um, follow the accreditation scheme and sort of support each other. Mm. So one of the things that the uh, RCP will offer is uh, training on the quality standards that are required and um, quality improvement methodology. We've run webinars to support people to work through their uh, accreditation process. We've also run um, study days to help people understand what the evidence is that they would be uploading. Um, and so we've debated what that might look like. And of course, some evidence will, will tick the box of a number of standards. So it's having some roundtable discussions about what people um, are considering uploading, what other people are doing. So there's sort of that, you know, <laughs> peer support yeah. when people are all going through a process. And that was very evident when we did this group working. Um, so if you're going to do it as a group, the RCP would provide training um, at a time and location that was convenient to you. They would do um, workshops and develop regional templates so mm -hmm. that there is some consistency around reporting, for example. Um, and ultimately, the RCP will develop case studies of quality improvements or um, good practice um, 
to really support people to uh, embark on this journey of accreditation. And it's anticipated that it will take about 12 to 18 months from the time that you sign up to the time that you press the button saying you think you're ready for the, for the peer review. So it's not quick. You know, it takes a while to um, bring together all of this evidence. Yeah. Do you know roughly how many services are signed up in the UK? We have um, between 30 and 40 currently signed up. So uh, NHS England is um, very supportive of this and have actually ring-fenced some funds to support other services to embark on this, this journey. So we're hoping, I mean, their aspiration is that 100% of services um, embark on this accreditation over the next few years. I mean, that is very mm -hmm. ambitious, but we would hope to certainly make some inroads into mm -hmm. that so that a majority of services um, oh. actually take part. And have there been any sort of resistance to services signing up or any barriers for them being able to do this? Well, I, th I think that they're, they're inevitably, you know, people are anxious that their service may not meet the standards that are anticipated so people feel that they may be judged against that but this is meant to be a supportive process to help services find ways of delivering this high quality package of care. Um, cost is always an issue um, and I would direct people to uh, a YouTube video by Maria Buxton who's a physiotherapy manager who has made an impassioned plea for physiotherapists to be empowered um, to request this funding from managers because that there will be a point that comes where it is rec strongly recommended by NHSE that rehabilitation services are only commissioned if you are an accredited service. There are other schemes within the um, UK in terms of the um, CQC inspections where we would expect where there are national accreditation schemes that serve that organizations would be signed up to that so questions would would be asked so there's multiple reasons why trusts should do this um, i don't think people should be frightened of it we've had tales of where people are starting rehabilitation programs um, from scratch and have decided to actually embark on this journey fairly early on to make sure that they from yeah. the very beginning are conforming to national standards around this high quality of care. Yeah. So if we just go back to some of the detail, do you want to outline what standards the accreditation scheme is looking at and perhaps some of the core evidence yeah. as well? So there's overall there's um, eight standards and they range from uh, leadership, strategy and uh, management of the service. Um, and you might imagine some of the evidence around that would be able to demonstrate you have a clear leader that takes on that responsibility, has time um, to do management and strategy planning, um, and is actually linked into the wider service so that they're linked in with the uh, institution's hierarchy. Then there's the operational delivery of the clinical service, uh, which is probably fairly self-explanatory systems to support the clinical service delivery, and I guess the obvious ones are having things like audit support, um, clerical support, etc., and having um, a system around you. 
patient-centered treatment and or care is, is, is very much focused on the patient journey through rehabilitation, looking at things like um, privacy and dignity of the, of the patients, which is very high up in the NHS agenda. So there's aspects around that, risk and safety to make sure that you risk assess your environment and that it is uh, as safe as you can actually make it and appropriate for the intervention that you're developing. The clinical effectiveness is, is largely driven by audit data, so you can begin to see why you couldn't take part in the accreditation scheme if you weren't taking part in the audit. Then there's uh, aspects around staffing a clinical service, and some of that is around workforce, so we would expect there to be um, a, a clear process for um, induction of, of new staff into the program. So how do you make sure that mm -hmm. any new staff come in are uh, equipped to do the job if they don't have a history uh, or experience in pulmonary rehabilitation? So how do we assess clinical competencies? How do we reevaluate clinical competencies? Uh, are staff allowed to access training? And you may know that the British Thoracic Society have developed over the last few years a standardized course describing the fundamentals of pulmonary rehabilitation. So we would be, begin to see that services would be allowing staff to attend that course, and that would be evidence that you might upload um, onto the website to be able to share, not obviously by, by name, but actually that members of your team had attended that course. And then the last section is uh, around improvements and uh, innovation and transformation. So that's why the quality improvement aspect of this is really important. And the RCP have a real focus through both of audit and accreditation um, to support quality improvement. That, but in research active centres, that may be engaging in research as well. That's great. Thank you. So just a final question from me. Um, Obviously, this accreditation scheme is unique to the UK. Um, are there other health systems across the world that you're aware of who are doing anything similar? So I think we're I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not probably the best person to ask that, but um, there's certainly a, um, a scheme in the, in the US that looks at accrediting services. I, I don't know how the two services um, compare and contrast. I suspect the fundamentals are remarkably similar. Um, I don't know whether they have a peer review visit or, or the extent um, of the framework. So having just gone through the standards mm -hmm. here, those standards are driven by um, a, a national institute in the UK. So if any, any service is going to be accredited, they would, they would cover those components. So I'm not quite sure on the breadth of the um, American scheme. Perhaps that could be a separate podcast. I think that would be a very good idea, and I'm certainly not the right person to be doing that. So thank you. That's the end of my questions. Is there anything you wanted to add that we've not covered today? No, I'm sure as soon as we put the phone down, we'll think of something, Lindsay. Yeah, but we might uh, get some uh, <laughs> questions coming in by email. I think we've probably covered everything. Yeah. So thank you very much for your time, Sally, today. Yeah. And we hope that you, the audience, enjoyed this podcast. Thank you.